Let's pray together. God, our Father in heaven, we come to you now and and I ask that my words be your words, um, that you speak through me in this moment. Lord, I pray that um, you be with all of us in this moment, asking of you what it is you have to speak to us this morning, where it is that you're moving in our life, what is it that Jesus, the Spirit, and the Father are doing in our hearts, where you are, and how we might grab your hand and follow you right now. God, I am thankful that I I serve a God who is much, much bigger than me and my problems and my worries and concerns. And we just ask that you be present now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, This morning I come uh, with, um, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and kind of level set. It's a little different sermon than uh, is typical. I come with two desires and a fear. And uh, the the desire number one uh, is um, I desire for us as a church Uh, that we be a place of uh, vulnerability, a place where we can be real with one another, where we allow others into our lives, where we can take off our masks and, and simply be with one another, allowing each other to minister to one another. I desire that deeply from our church. And I, I think if we were a place like that, and as we are a place like that, we become ministers of the gospel through that. Uh, desire number two uh, is that I want to be a leader who is able to do this with my own congregation. Um, if you uh, might imagine with me, this is actually quite difficult uh, to stand on a stage and to take a mask off and to say, this is, uh, this is what's really going on. This is how my life really is. Uh, this, is, this is not easy, in particular, uh, as somebody who is, uh, is a representative uh, of the Almighty, if, if, I, if I am that. As somebody who, who gets up in a pulpit and is supposed to speak the Word of God on a weekly basis, um, with that, I think, is the assumption of, of strength and might and optimism and certainty and all of those things uh, that uh, we certainly crave that might even be idols in our lives. And um, I bring none of that this morning. Uh, the third thing was a fear. Uh, I'm afraid this morning uh, that I'm going to mess it all up. Uh, and instead of you seeing vulnerability in me, that you're just going to see a man standing on stage complaining, or worse yet, looking for pity I assure you, uh, that is not what I am here to do this morning. I do want to let you into my life a little bit. I want to take off my mask as much as I feel I can this morning. And um, my prayer is that is what you see. I chose two passages, Numbers 6 and 2 Corinthians 4, uh, before... This has been a crazy week. Uh, before some things happened this week that we'll talk about in a moment here, but um, 
I came across the number six passage. I actually preached on it uh, four years ago, which means to me that you probably don't remember it, and I felt safe uh, pulling it back in a little bit. And one of the things from that sermon um, that I, even as I re- reread it, I thought, oh, I, I forgot that, right? <laughs> so when I forget my own sermons, I feel safe that you probably did too. Um, is that the book of Numbers is uh, in the Hebrew actually not called Numbers. This was a revelation to me then and still is right now. Uh, it's actually, the Hebrew is Bamidbar, which means in the desert, in the desert, right? Which I think is a much better title than numbers. Uh, and uh, if I could uh, rename uh, chapters in our Bible, books in our Bible, I would, uh, I would rename that one for us. In the desert. Um, the image of Israel wandering through the desert is one that I've, um, I've come back to any, any number of times in my own life. Uh, it's um, a, a period in Israel's history where they are shaped as a nation. And in this period, this 40 years of their wilderness wanderings in the desert, um, they, they're living a contradiction. And this is what I said on that day. The contradiction that exists within them, and I think it's something that exists within, within us as the church and exists in us uh, individually, is, is this, is they are, uh, one, an image uh, of, uh, of wandering, unable to find their way, grumbling, complaining, they're making graven images, they're challenging their commander-in-chief Moses, and they are near mutiny on any number of circumstances, right? This is who Israel is wandering through that desert in that period, and, and if anyone looked at them from the outside, what would they see? They would see an army. The Canaanites saw an army as Israel approached closer and closer. And they arranged themselves as an army. And in the middle of it all was sitting what? Was, was the Ark of the Covenant. And God was fighting for them. And so they're living this contradiction a contradiction, again, that I think uh, I have certainly lived, and I'm pretty sure most of you have too, and I'm pretty certain the church as a whole has as well, where we have this mixture of, of being somebody who is filled with the Spirit and is uh, outwardly looks this uh, one part, and then there's also along the way grumbling and, and complaining and, and, and pushing back. Israel, if you don't know, the name itself means uh, wrestling, one who wrestles with God. And we see them wrestling with God throughout their desert wanderings. The desert, uh, the wilderness, that can be a tough place for anyone. If you've been there physically, spiritually, emotionally, then you know what I'm talking about. The sermon that day um, and and what we read for this morning was not about the wilderness, however. It was about what the priest is supposed to say to a people who are walking through the wilderness. And what the priest is supposed to say is this. It's uh, in uh, Numbers 6, 22 
to 27. And the Lord speaks to Moses and says, Moses, speak to Aaron, right? So Moses is the go-between. Speak to Aaron and all of the priests and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you, and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift, you, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's, this is what the priest is supposed to do. The job of Aaron, the job of the priestly class, is to remind Israel who they are, to bring them back to their very nature. Not the grumbling side of things, but to their very nature. They are the chosen people. They are redeemed by God. They are the blessed ones. They're the ones that God loves dearly and with unending mercy and grace. And I see this as my job too. It is my job to remind you of who you are. You are redeemed by God. You are blessed. You are loved. Loved dearly by the Father with unending grace and mercy. And as it says here, the Lord is lifting up his face toward you and giving you peace. This is my job, is to remind you of, of who you are. But this is where the vulnerability comes in. The question I keep asking is, what happens when the priest himself does not feel that God is indeed blessing him in the moment? That God is not keeping him or shining his face upon him? What if the priest no longer feels the peace of God that is in that verse that is supposed to be given over to the people of Israel. Who is there to remind the priest that he is, too, all of these things? Who's there to call the priest back to his very nature, his identity, and his purpose in God? The answer, or one of them, is um, one of my favorite parts about being a Baptist. It's the priesthood of all believers. I'm not the only priest in the house. <laughs> We're all priests. And I need all of you. And we need each other. And we must all carry this blessing and call one another back to what it means to be made in the image of God, to be redeemed by God, to share his identity and his purpose. On Monday night this week, um, we had a deacon meeting. And for my money, it was the most important deacon meeting I've ever been to. Uh, it was a little smaller in size, um, but it was, I went with, with really just one purpose and then I walked away with two revelations. Uh, the purpose I went with was I was in a tough spot. I was um, hurting. Um, Kendall had indeed fallen two weeks ago now. Um, I was feeling like my world was kind of turned upside down once again. 
And I, I wanted to go to the meeting, uh, not in any way to lead deacons or to, but simply to just show up with a group of men uh, who were going to pray over me. Uh, and I went selfishly with that purpose, and they did. And I, and I walked away with two revelations. And the two revelations were that um, the power of prayer and community is a real thing. And I, I walked away feeling the power of prayer in that moment, the peace of God in that moment. And I, I felt this is, this is how the body of Christ is to work, right? These people holding me up. In fact, Jeff uh, actually used the image uh, from Moses as he's parting the Red Sea and, and he's got his hands up and he's got to keep them up in order for it to... And, uh, and you got one guy holding his right arm and one guy holding his left arm. And that's, I, I felt that in that moment. Um, and then the second revelation was this, though, is that my family's not the only one among many in the church struggling with illness, with losses and sadness, and so much more. As we looked through the prayer list that night, it was remarkable to me uh, what our church is facing and how much hardship exists within the body of believers that is South Run Baptist Church at this time. This year, uh, 2022, uh, is a year where we as a church council decided that our job was to strengthen and support our congregation. Did, did you know this? I hope you knew this <laughs> uh, because we've said it a bunch of times. Um, but I'll, I'll just say it again. So our, we, we said we're going to dedicate this year to us and, and to strengthening one another and supporting one another um, and we did this in large part because we have been through a pandemic, uh, and uh, in some ways we're still going through it, and uh, we're two and a half plus years into it, and it's been really, really difficult on all of us in a variety of ways. Um, I guess I wasn't hoping that the strengthening and supporting side of this uh, applied to me, um, as many people often do, let's strengthen and support, you know, everybody else, but not, not me. But um, what I want to come this morning to you with is that I, I too need strength and I need support. Um, I, I think this is the only time I'll ever tell this story the way I'm about to tell it now. So uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't want pity. Uh, as I said already, I don't want um, uh, to don't hear me as complaining. I, again, want to take down the mask of what my life has been like to this point. My story is that I came into a South Run Baptist Church in 2017, hobbling from uh, my life's journey. And all of that is, unfortunately, a story for another day. Uh, but you just simply need to know this much, that my family and I believed and still believe that our arrival at South Run was nothing less than a miracle. And I do not say that with any exaggeration. I am not over-spiritualizing this. We truly believe it was a miracle that we found our way to this church. We believe that coming here was God's divine intervention in our lives, rescuing, redeeming, 
and blessing us. And then, uh, starting in 2017, we've had five years of intense medical trauma. And uh, some of you know it all, uh, and a lot of you don't. Within weeks of arriving here um, in 2017, Kendall had a third miscarriage. That was her third miscarriage. She had had two prior. And it was on a Sunday morning. Most of you don't know this. And it was minutes before the worship service started. And uh, Jeannie was here. And she took Kendall home and uh, tended to her and loved her and held her. And I wanted nothing more than to be there with her. Um, but I did what I thought I should do, and I still don't know what I should have done in that circumstance, but I headed upstairs, and I sat in that pew, and I, 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 I soldiered on. I delivered a sermon. I didn't say a word about what was happening because it was a whirlwind, right? And we, and we moved on. I wanted nothing more than to be with Kendall in that moment, um, but I was not given that opportunity, or I did not take it at least. I probably should have reached out immediately for help and said, we need help. Less than a year later, in June of 2018, Kendall contracted sepsis and ended up in the ICU for nearly a week. Uh, last night, I was going through my pictures on my phone to kind of figure out exact dates on some of this stuff. And, and the pictures of that, uh, that time uh, were, frankly, to use an overused word, triggering for me uh, to see my wife in, in a state where she had almost died. And, and then um, reminding me of the months and months after that, close to a year of her recovery, where she was unable to leave the bed most of the time. She, uh, she had a, a, like this uh, fancy IV ball that went around with her when she finally was able to leave the bed. Um, and having to tend, her, uh, tend to her during that time. Um, but again, uh, I, I felt the need to soldier on. And to be quite honest with you, uh, when I spoke to people then, <laughs> uh, it, it might be hard to believe but I said, I assure you, it's hard, but uh, it is still so much better than where we came from and where we were. And we still feel very much in the midst of God's uh, grace and, and his mercy. And we have good doctors here. And, and, and there are so many things to be thankful for. Uh, year later, July, 2019, my appendix burst while on vacation in Tennessee. This feels almost like a side note uh, because uh, I missed a wedding uh, and uh, I was in the hospital for a little bit myself, but, um, you know, managed to jump back and this sort of thing happens to most people. It's just the trauma on trauma that's the problem here. Same year, Kendall had her fourth miscarriage. And that was uh, December of 2019. And uh, you might even remember that one because I made a grave error uh, in 
in saying that we were pregnant again. Uh, I think I was hallucinating that morning. Um, I was not in my right mind. And, uh, and I, may, I, I had to come back a week later um, as we had uh, lost uh, a fourth baby. Um, and then the day before Christmas, Kendall had a surgery in which that baby had to be removed. And, um, deeply painful, right? It's like year after year after year of pain and trauma. Um, 2020, I think we all know what happened in 2020. The pandemic started. And I'm here to tell you it was the best year of our life. <laughs> Which is a terrible thing to say. It was the healthiest year uh, of our being here. 2020, we had no, no illnesses in the house. Uh, it was, it was uh, a very difficult time on a different level altogether. I think we can all agree. But in my house, we kept the illness away. But in 2021, as most of you all know as well, Fe February 3rd, uh, Kendall fell and, and slipped on the ice outside of our house and hit the back of her head and had a trauma to her head, a head trauma, a concussion, um, where once again I watched, uh, I, I, I rushed my bride to the ER, uh, watching her in hysterics. Uh, I remember calling Billy Prout, um, who um, I, I was concerned as much about, it was a terrible, uh, it was a terrible time. It was, it was, um, that night I thought I was going to lose my wife once again. And uh, we, we made it through. Uh, the, the head trauma, of course, is not something you just bounce back from either, just like sepsis. Uh, months and months and months uh, of recovery uh, only this time the recovery is not just physical, though that, uh, in fact, she still has uh, she neck uh, pains and various back pains and head pains and migraines. Um, but of course, there's emotional trauma. There's a loss of memory. Uh, and there's anxiety that comes with it that uh, Kendall had never suffered from before, um, but was part and parcel of that. And, um, and through all this, of course, I'm by her side and uh, experiencing all of this in a secondhand sort of way. And then that gets us to this year and to two weeks ago when Kendall fell one more time. And um, with each of these medical issues, it, it was just like, uh, again, a layering on top of one after the next after the next. And, and as much as I felt I could handle each of these, and that we could handle each of these. Um, they've just, they're a lot. And you need to know that. And my heart is heavy. And my spirit is heavy. And, um, and so with each medical issue comes other issues. We are not just physical bodies walking through the world. We are minds. We are souls. We are spirits, we are bodies, we are complex, we are emotional, 
And with each trauma, it takes a toll on us in ways that we may not be able to see, but we most certainly can feel. And so these traumas aren't just Kendall's. They've taken a toll on me too. These years, uh, plus the pandemic, uh, have led me to a point uh, of, I'll just say it, weakness in my life. It's a word Paul uses, so I feel comfortable using it as well, a point of weakness. It's difficult to say because I fall prey to the temptation that I must not show weakness, that I just must be strong, and that I must carry on and soldier on and just make do. And uh, most of the time, I think I can do that, and I try to. But right now, I can't. In my own life, family aside, uh, I've come to a place where I just need to step aside for a few weeks. And that's what I'm coming to talk to you about this morning. We talk a lot about sanctuary. It's one of our core values uh, at South Run Baptist Church. A place to go to rest, to heal. It's a place for Sabbath. A place where we can be together in the presence of God. And I need sanctuary right now. A place to heal in order to, as we say in our values, to get back out there. I'm not good at asking for help. Many of us are not. I know I'm not the only one. I've learned the value of soldiering on and pressing forward, but I've come to a point where I think God is teaching me a different lesson, one that I'm sure some of you need to hear too. I need to take care of myself and do what's best and right for me right now. I need to take off the mask that I too often wear, that makes it look like everything's fine and everything is well, and I need to put on my oxygen mask, so to speak. You know what I mean, right? The, when, okay, when you're on a plane flight, the stewardess looks at you and says uh, to the parents, put on your oxygen mask first and then put on, on your kids. And I've run through that scenario. I don't know if you parents have uh, before. I'm not sure that's what I would do. I know that's what they tell me to do. But I think somewhere deep down inside me, I, I think I need to save others first. I will get to me eventually. My gut level response is to take care of others, to make sure they're well, to pour myself out for others. And I'm certain I could find scriptural backing for all of that because it's there. But the airline host is telling you to put that mask on first so that you can help other people. You take care of yourself so that you don't die in the process of helping other people. I need to put on my oxygen mask for a few weeks. <clears throat> I need to breathe in the presence of God. I need to sit under the healing touch of the great physician. I need to do this so that I can be an effective minister to our congregation so that when I enter the pulpit, I'm not faking it. You don't want a pastor that's faking it. I've heard sermons about the two great commandments. I know you have too. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. 
And regarding the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, there is debate over whether or not Jesus is encouraging us to love ourselves and what that looks like. It's abundantly clear that all people's natural posture is not necessarily to love others, and so Jesus is most definitely saying, love others. Uh, But for some of us, the loving ourselves part is actually quite difficult, and the taking care of ourselves is difficult. We need to learn the as-yourself part sometimes, and that's where I'm at right now. We all need to love our neighbors, but we also need to learn the art of loving ourselves. And please don't mishear me, not in a narcissistic way, not in a selfish way, or putting yourself first kind of way. I'm just simply talking about self-care. I'm talking about being healthy emotionally, physically, mentally, and most certainly spiritually. I was drawn into the pastorate because I love others. I love helping people. I love reaching out. I personally heard Jesus' message and said, I believe that too. When Jesus says, love others as you love yourself, I said, I believe that. That's the kind of message I want to shout out to others too. We should put other people first. We should look out for the hurting and for the lost. What I often fail to do is to take stock of the as-yourself part. And so for me, I've begun to flip the message without trying to distort it. I hope you don't think I am. You could say, love yourself as you would love your neighbor. Love yourself as you would love your neighbor. I know I'm not the only one in here that needs to hear this. Parents especially, I'm looking at you, moms in particular, but some of us dads as well. But there are many more. We're constantly pouring ourselves out for our families and for those we love, for our uh, families and for our friends and for our church and for our neighbors. And the question I have to ask myself is, if I had a friend who was in my shoes, what would I advise him? How would I want him to treat himself? How would I love him? And then, asking the follow-up question, can I love myself in the same way? Can I give myself permission to take care of myself just as I would take care of my neighbor? Can I love myself as I would love my neighbor? If Paul felt the temptation to hide his weakness, and sometimes I actually think he might, he he seemed to be, if not proud, he's not afraid of boasting. He does boast, uh, he uses the word with some frequency. But if, he was a, uh, if he, his temptation was to hide his weakness, there are places in Scripture and in in his letters uh, where he does not at all hide his weakness. And we read one this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says this, verse 7. <clears throat> 
says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And here, even just the mention of the jars of clay, right? He could have used any number of metaphors, and he uses this frail thing that if you just step in the wrong direction and drop it, it's going to shatter into pieces. And the frailty of his own life is something he recognizes and knows. And if you read the whole of 2 Corinthians 4, you see this very clearly. And 2 Corinthians 5, he even talks about his own death, just in case you didn't get the point. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And then he says this. I was struck by these uh, attributes that he said of him, his own self. He said, we are afflicted in every way. He's a person who is afflicted. He's perplexed, he says. Have you ever been perplexed? I've been perplexed. I might be right now. <laughs> Persecuted. Struck down. These are all things he says of himself. He's all these things. But Paul knows that's not the whole story of himself, right? Those four things, that, that doesn't make up the whole of who he is. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. And I admire Paul's tenacity here. I think he shows us a way forward. I think he shows us... Uh, in his own life, and, and we often take Paul's words as Paul's words, but I want you to think about the man for a second, what he faced in his life, the persecution, the, uh, the uh, uh, perplexing nature of, of what he was trying to do, being struck down countless times, and yet he found a way to press on, uh, he knew that God was still on his side. In 2 Corinthians 12, later on, same uh, book, just a few chapters down, he talks about this thorn in the flesh that he has. And he prays that God take it away. Three times he says, take it away, God, take it away. Whatever this thorn is, we don't know. Take it away. And he says that, that he didn't, right? God, God did not take it away but instead answered Paul with these words. He said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast, and here he is boasting, all the more gladly of my weaknesses. And he's boasting of his weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with Weaknesses, and here he goes again. Here's another list. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, calamities. And he says, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. And um, to Paul, uh, I look to Paul as somebody that I want to be when I grow up. Because <laughs> I don't know that I can say all these things, just to be honest with you. I might be able to write them down and say them out of my mouth, but sometimes I don't feel all of these things. But someday I hope to. Uh, what happens next? <clears throat> so I've spoken with the personnel committee, Scott Yao, Billy Prout, 
We've been talking through possible options. They've been talking to church council. And we're all in agreement that I will be taking some time away uh, from the pulpit until September 11th. This is our big kickoff day, and I want to be here for it. And I want to be back in the pulpit on that day. Um, During that time, I'm going to try to rest, to find God's presence in my own life, to find the perseverance that I need to be the pastor that you need, to be the husband that my wife needs, to be the father that my kids need. And I'd ask for your prayer during that time. I want to end with the sermon that I was going to preach, which I'll keep it very brief. <laughs> I realize what time it is here. Uh, I was supposed to preach on, on hope. Um, this may not have felt like an incredibly hopeful sermon. Um, the, uh, the bulletin uh, says, uh, the blurb says that today's message is about the edges of hope, and it still is, and that's what I'm ending with. That's what I'm choosing to go with here. And I said, not the hope that we have when all is well, but the hope we cling to with white knuckles when life is not going how we think it should. Paul certainly shows us the way when he describes his own life as a frail clay jar. He says he is afflicted and perplexed and persecuted and struck down, but in all of this, the imperishable life of Christ shines forth all the more. Christ's presence and life sustains Paul in his dark hours. And my prayer for myself and for you is that we cling together to the hope that we have in Christ our Lord. I don't know about you, um, but it's in moments like this in my own life that I am comforted that our Bible doesn't shy away from hardship in the lives uh, of our heroes, of our biblical heroes. When I look at the life of Paul, I don't see the life of ease. I see quite the opposite, really. In fact, maybe it's me that's been doing something wrong all these other years, and it's that, this, this uh, life of hardship that, that Paul embodies. But it's not just Paul, is it? Certainly it's Jesus, too. And it's, frankly, all of the disciples. And they all embody this hardship that, I, that somehow gets lost along the way. It's, it's as if, like, that's not supposed to happen to me. Maybe it was supposed to happen to them, right? And the whole picking up the cross part, was that, that was them thing. And then this is me receiving all the rewards and the health and the happiness and the, the goodness. And, but sometimes that's not how life goes. And so I am comforted. Uh, apologies to Paul here. Uh, I am comforted by Paul's hardships and Jesus as well and the other disciples. And I'm trying to learn perseverance, and I pray that you do too. My friend Greg Young, who you know, has encouraged me many times to try to find joy in hardship. I'm even trying to do that, and that feels like an impossible task sometimes. For now, I am seeking the presence of God. I am watching for his hand. I am walking through a desert knowing that God has not forsaken me, but I am still waiting to feel it in my heart. And I'm waiting and walking 
toward God, out of the desert, and into newness of life, not all that different from what the Israelites were trying to do as they stumbled through the desert for their 40 years. I'll finish with a quote from Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen is one of my favorite authors. He embodies and writes in a way that if I were to pick up the pen and start writing books, I, I might want to write these kinds of books. Um, but he, he tells me here, this is who I want to be. Um, and as my congregation, I want you to know that as your pastor, this is who I want to be. He says, those who help us most are not always those who give us new ideas. I feel like I do that a lot. Like, here's a new idea, and as if that's going to help you the most. But instead, those who radiate the presence of God, who in their person teach us. I want to be somebody who teaches in my person and how I walk through the world. And I know that in order to do that, it does require pulling down my mask a little bit and letting you see what's going on on the inside. I want you to know that I love you. I have felt your prayers. We have felt your prayers. And I am still very, very blessed to be here at South Run Baptist Church. Let's pray together. God, I keep waiting for the words to say. I pray, I pray, Lord, for your leading, for your guidance of me, yes, but uh, for our church as a whole. I pray that these coming weeks and months and into this next year be a period of time where we, where we seek your hand where we follow you, God forbid, into a desert, but prayerfully out of a desert, wherever you might lead us, however you might teach us, that is our desire, God, that we find ourselves in your midst, in your presence. God, we know that our future is in your hands. And though our future in many ways is uncertain, there is a certainty to it because of you. You have promised us, Lord, that in the end, you win. That all will be well. That all will be well. All manner of things shall be well. God, give us the perseverance and the strength and the hope to make it through. Pray this in Christ's name, amen.